do it's all the kids get out of here. I think Dan might actually want to trade places with me this morning, so he might be willing to preach. Hey, so thank you again for being here this morning at Redeemer. Um, our, our typical kind of MO is, is really that we, we want to make sure that people know that as we gather, it's, it's all about Jesus. It, it's why the, the services are as um, stripped down as they are. It's, it's part of why the building is as simple as it is. And we just take um, books of the Bible and just work through them kind of chapter by chapter um, over however many weeks or months we need to, to work our way through the book. And so that's what we're doing about 99 times out of 100 um, but for this Advent season, as we remember the expectation um, that we waited for, um, as, as Israel waited for the coming king, as we remember that he's come and that he's coming again, we're going to take December off of working through a book, um, and we're going to do um, some, some core values that, that Redeemer has. We're going to talk about some specific kind of Advent issues as well over the course of December, and we will pick back up in a new um, book of the Bible uh, the first Sunday in January, and begin the new year working through a new book. Um, and so this morning, we will, we will be latched to a text, but it'll be a little different because we haven't been working our way through that book. Um, and so we've got kind of six core values that over the last seven and a half years that have kind of guided Redeemer. Um, it's not in, in that, it's not that we think, hey, these are the six, the only six things, but that we have to we have to, in some way, shape the way we do ministry and, and why we do ministry the way we do. Um, I was first kind of pressed on this when I was coming back from the Middle East and just seeing all the good ministry that was taking place um, around the world and then looking at all the ministry opportunities stateside of, as you think about working with um, addiction ministries or you think about working in homeless ministry or you think about doing youth ministry or pastoring a church or planning a church um, you think about feeding all these different things. You, you, you live overseas, all these different ministries, and I'm like, I've only got one life, right? I've only got one life to live. How am I going to, what am I going to do? Because I can't do it all. And so core values, to some degree, kind of do that for us. They help us make decisions. They help us think through um, via Scripture, like why we're going to do or not do things. Because as, as a single body, we can't do everything. Now, we don't get to pick and choose on the commands that Scripture has given us, the things that we're called to, but it's the, to the ministry that we're going to, to invest the majority of our time in. And so there's, with the six, we're going to look at two of them each week for the next three weeks. And the first that we're going to look at this morning, and, and the reason we do this is because it's just easy to forget and it's easy to drift, um, is that we want to be a, a church that's gospel-centered, Right? And we want to be, everything that we do, everything that we're built on, to be built on the gospel. And I know if we're not careful, real quick, you're going to go, oh, phew, I already know the gospel. I'm good. I don't need this sermon this morning. Because I know for me, my, in my upbringing, that was how the gospel was presented, would, was that you would have these messages that were maybe talking about parenting or family or money or missions. And then every once in a while, the pastor would say, this morning, we're having a good old gospel message. And it was like, in case there's any lost people there. And so if you were a believer, you could almost like check out, because it's like the gospel is just to get you in. And we, we want to push back on that. The, the gospel is not the thing that just gets us into the family. It's not the finish line. It is the starting point of our journey, that we need the gospel just as much as believers 
as we do for those who don't yet know and love and treasure Jesus. That the gospel is legitimately everything to us. And so, again, I think you say, ah, I know the gospel. And yet if all of a sudden I was to just call on some of you and say, hey, summarize the gospel real quick, there would probably be a moment of panic of like, oh, I know it, don't want to define it, right? Sometimes we struggle with these phrases and these ideas that get called and thrown around all the time. And so I want to start by just reading from Colossians chapter 1. So Colossians is in the New Testament. It's one of those short little books after First and Second Corinthians. You'll see Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Colossians 1. And this is Paul's letter, and I'm going to begin in verse 5. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and he has made known to us your love in the spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so to to begin this morning, I I just want to remind us of what the gospel actually is. The gospel is good news. And it's good news of something that's already been accomplished. It's the good news that God has sent his Son on our behalf to rescue us, knowing that apart from Christ, we are the enemies of God. We are separated from God. We are opposed to him, and we will suffer his wrath and separation from him, except that Jesus, at the right time, the time that we celebrate right now, stepped into human history, put on flesh, and lived the life we were meant to live, died the death that we deserved for our sin and for our rebellion, And then because he was perfect and sinless, because he could take that upon, he he beat sin and Satan and death, and he was resurrected, and he lives today. And so as we sing this morning, and as we pray this morning, right, we're not singing just for one another, right? We're not praying just for one another. It's not bouncing off the ceiling or off the walls. It is being heard by our living king who is alive and well and on his throne And that there will be a day because he is alive where he will split the sky and return for us. Because he is faithful king. And so the good news is that although we are the enemies of God, that something has been done about it. And rescue has happened and it's been offered. It's saying, trust me. Trust me that the way that I'm going to go back to the Father is what Jesus is saying. It's it's to him. I'm going to take you to where you belong. And the good news is you don't have to do it. It's been done. Come with him. 
back to the Father. So look at verse 5 and 6, though. So, so you've, he's writing to the church, right? He's not, he's not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to believers. And he says, so you've heard the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world, and it is bearing fruit and is increasing. So this reminds us that it's not just for those who don't yet know Jesus. It is for believers, that the gospel is what continues to increase in us and what bears fruit and what allows us to, to grow and more and more into Christ-likeness. It's what allows us to to reflect the glory of God in our home and in our community and in the world is that the gospel is changing us and it's it's transforming us and that Jesus is the one who's who's rescued us, that it's not just for the lost, it's also for the believers. This season, I think it's, it's easy for us to think of the gospel as like a theological concept and almost like separate it from Jesus. And it's easy to come into this season and we, and we think of like the baby Jesus, but we forget like who he is, right? His, the, the personhood of Christ who came on our behalf to rescue us. And so I want to read to you beginning in verse 15 of chapter 1. And I, I just want you to hear this in light of the fact that this morning we lit a candle reminding that there was for a generations people hoping for the coming king, the coming Messiah. Right, and, and listen to what we have received, beginning in verse 15. This is speaking of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things And in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, Doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Right? Paul said it's possible to shift, right? Which have been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And so Paul is not saying, hey, you're going to lose your salvation. He's saying it's possible to, just for, to be prone to forget this, to be focused on the things of the world and to forget what we have been given by Jesus. Like literally every phrase of that section, 15 through 23, is a sermon. <laughs> Talking about the, just the beauty and the, and the splendor of King Jesus. And if we're not careful, we just kind of nod our head in agreement and say, yeah, Jesus is good. Jesus is better than you think he is. He is more than you think he is. Whatever you think and worship and, and expect from him this morning, he's more than that. Right? And so Paul just begins to list some things. He's like, look, he's the image of the invisible God. And it's why Jesus tells his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He says look, that all things were created in him and through him. That all things hold together. Like the reason that you're breathing now is because of Jesus. 
The reason that the universe is holding together is because of Jesus, right? Like that in him, all things hold together, that he's the head of the church. He's the one that we follow. He's the one that we lead. It's why the church is the bride of Christ, that he reconciled us. He put us at peace with God who we were at war with because of his death at the cross, that he is reconciling us. Even though we were alienated, verse 21, and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Right? That doesn't just describe those people. It describes us. That all of us were once alienated, doing evil deeds far from him, and that he has reconciled us. He has rescued us by his life and his death and his resurrection. So Paul shows us kind of our goal here is verse 6, that the gospel would continue to bear fruit and increase. And then if we look down at verse 9, that he says, I haven't quit praying for you. I haven't ceased praying for you. Asking, and he's talking again to believers, to the church here. He says that you would be filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that you would then walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. It's a tall task. Like that what we're supposed to do is walk in a manner that the Lord would look at us and say, I'm pleased with that. And yet we know because we're alienated, we've been hostile to God, that we're prone to forget the goodness of his glory, the fact that he has rescued us, and yet Paul says, I want you to walk in a manner worthy. And so being gospel-centered, right, is this, it's not just that we affirm the gospel, right? And so many people, they say, yeah, 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 the gospel's good, Jesus is good, I, I, I affirm that. And when they say they affirm it, what they kind of mean is, like, hey, it, yeah, it's the thing that saves you, and then we just, we move on to, to different things. Move on to What? Right, like, what is there to move on from the greatest news in the world? Or some want to assume the gospel, and they're just like, hey, we live in Pampa. People know Jesus, right? And they just assume the gospel. And so then people are like, yeah, I, I can throw some words around, but I don't, I don't really know Jesus, Right? And, and if we assume the gospel, then we, we move on from preaching the gospel and preaching the, the rescue that Jesus has brought to just really practical stuff that says try hard and do better. Right? Let's work on your marriage. Let's work on your parenting. Let's talk about your money. Let's make sure you're serving. Right? And, and, we, and we start talking about these things because we just assume that you know and love Jesus. But we can't assume that we know and love Jesus because all of us are, are enemies apart from Jesus rescuing of us. And so being gospel-centered is seeing everything through the lens of the gospel, that it's not just the way I talk and act for an hour on Sunday morning. It's not just how I want people to talk about me at my funeral, that it affects every inch of life, that it affects the way we spend our money, it affects the way we, we raise our kids. It affects the way we, we love our spouse. It affects the way we pursue our neighbors. It affects the way we go to work and with what work ethic we have at work. It changes everything. And so the gospel is not just this nice little thing to know to give us peace, right, as we advance in age. And it's not this thing that just gets us to heaven. It radically alters and changes the course of our life. 
And so to be gospel-centered is to see every decision and every thought and every desire and every action through the lens of what has Jesus done on my behalf? And how do I walk in a manner that would reveal that I have received that and I trust that and I love that? So verse 10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So there's two, two extremes here, if, if we're not careful, as we think about the gospel. There are those of us, because we, we grew up in a conservative home, or a believing home, or a conservative area, or even just your bent, you're just a little bit more of a rule follower, right? You're, you're like, the teacher asks you to do something, and even if you hate it, you're just going to do it because they asked you to. And then there's others of you that are like, you're, you're just kind of more naturally rebels at heart, and you're glad for people to know it, right? And so for some of us, we, we hear the gospel, and we're like, I wasn't that bad, right? I, I've, I haven't done a lot of big stuff, so how bad could I be? So, okay, Jesus, you get me to heaven, but I, I was pretty much there on my own. And if we're not careful, we become Pharisees, right? Believing that we can live out a religious life that would please God, that we can do the things that would make God look at us and go, I need Jeremy on my team. Man, look at this dude. Right, that's that's being religious. That that is being a Pharisee saying, I did it. And when we say, I did it, or I just needed a little bit of help, we are drastically cutting down the cross. We're looking at Jesus and saying, ah, you didn't really have to go through all of that. Because I was really pretty great. And even though we might not ever publicly say that, we, we live in this way. Right, that we, we, we tear down the cross and we don't view it as, as big. And so if we don't see our need as great, that we were opposed by a holy, vengeful, wrathful God who we could not satisfy, if we don't see that, then Jesus is really small. And then for others, there's this idea of like just kind of easy believism, right? This idea that, hey, Jesus gives it, right? He, he wants you to be in heaven with him. Come on. He's offering it to everyone. It's like he's throwing stuff out at the parade, just throwing salvation out. And we're like, oh, that's it? I don't got to do anything? Then I'll just continue to live my life. And then we don't walk in a manner worthy of the Lord because we live in a way that does not reflect his character, that does not honor him, that doesn't look like someone who has been touched by holy God and transformed. But we're like, I got my get out of hell free card. And so if we're not careful, we run to these extremes of either, I I did it and Jesus is small, or he gives it and it's cheap. But if we really look at our lives, we understand that we were in desperate need of rescue and that the gap was larger than we knew. And the cross was the only thing that filled it. But here's the thing. Most likely for you who have been walking with Jesus for long, you have not grown in your thought of going, I was better than I thought I was. You've grown in your thought of, I was far further from Jesus than I thought I was. And so hopefully as you grow in your understanding of how good and how holy and how righteous and how big and how worthy Jesus is, that you're also seeing, I was worse than I thought. And so as it grows, the cross looms larger and larger, and the need for Jesus looms larger and larger. And so our worship for him grows larger and larger because we're like, I could have never done that. God, that you rescued me. 
And so sometimes you find folks that are fearful because as they're walking with Jesus, they start to realize, I got a lot of sin. Maybe I'm not really saved. And what it is is that Jesus is simply being so gracious, right? He's refining you. And he's revealing these things to you and seeing that your need for him was bigger than you ever knew. And so in verse 10, it says he wants us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And the way that we first do that is we see that we needed him. We see that we needed his rescue, that we weren't as close as we thought we were. And that it cost him something, cost him everything to rescue us and to bring us back to the Father. Verse 10 says, I want you to walk in this manner fully pleasing and bearing fruit in every good work. Now, for most of us, and some of you have heard us talk about this, what, what it looks like is, right, man, I need some patience. And so we just try to squeeze patience out, right? Like we're trying to like produce patient fruit. And it just doesn't happen. And so, right, it, it, if... We're, we live in an agriculture area here, and, and so if, although we don't have a lot of apple trees, we understand how agriculture works. And so if I was to talk about apples, know all the facts about apples, to tell you the best soil for apples, the best temperature, the best time, the best kind for eating, the best kind for baking, all those things, no matter how much knowledge I could share with you about apples, I'm not producing any apples. I can't make them come. I can squeeze as long as I want, no apples are coming. Right? And I can wow you with my apple knowledge, which is a little weird, right? <laughs> and for a lot of us, that's what we do. We stand up here and we talk about Jesus a lot. And we can't produce anything that looks like Jesus because we're not connected to Jesus. But when you go out to an apple tree, what do you find? You find apples. Because that's what an apple tree does, it puts off apples. John 15 tells us that if we are connected, if we abide in Christ, right, that he, he produces fruit through us. And so if we're connected to him, we're not out here having to go, come on, patience. We're becoming like Christ, and patience comes with that. Righteousness comes with that. Peace in the midst of difficulty comes with that. Hope comes with that. Because we are becoming Christ-like. Because we are connected to him, and fruit is being produced and so if you're out here trying to perform and make Christ-likeness come based on your knowledge of him, it's not going to happen. But if you are connected to the vine, if you're walking in tandem in relationship with Jesus, then you will naturally begin to look like Christ because you're connected to him. And so what he does, he transforms us. So when Paul says, walk in a manner worthy, he's not calling us to something, right, that we're, we're going to constantly fail at unless we do it ourselves. He's saying if you do it in Christ, fruit. You do it in yourself, lack of fruit. You will not bear fruit. That if we do this, he goes, I want you to also, in verse 10, to increase in the knowledge of God. Like, grow in your understanding. Grow in these things. Know what God wants. Know what God is like. Know what his character is like. So that you see the fruit being produced. So that you can see it in others and, and encourage them that they're becoming more Christ-like. Verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Not your ability, by his glorious might. For all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to God. He says, I want you to do this with joy and gratitude and worship. And for so many of us, when we think of the gospel, we think of fear. Like it's the thing that saved us from hell. 
instead of this thing that brings us into getting to know Jesus, to treasure him, to enjoy him in the rightful, proper place for what we were meant for, what we were created for is to be with God forever. And the gospel is the thing that brings us back because it's Jesus rescuing his enemies and saying, be a part of the family again. You are known and you are loved and you are adopted in and you are beloved. And if you're connected to me, you'll begin to look like me. You'll carry the family name. And so asking yourself, do I do the things that I do out of fear and condemnation and guilt or because I love and treasure Jesus and I want to look like my father? That we do it for joy and giving thanks to the Father. Listen, we give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You did not qualify yourself. He qualified you. And if we have to get this order right, that he rescued us, and so then we give thanks. That he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That he has delivered us and transferred us. He didn't just save us and say, okay, figure it out until you die. That he brings us into his family, into his kingdom. So here's how this works, just practically. Right? If, if, if we're not careful, what we do is we talk about something like marriage. And we're like, hey, you should be a better wife or you should be a better husband. And we talk about the practicality of those things. What it means to be gospel-centered in our view of marriage is this. That we say, the reason that you stay together is because God's love is permanent for us, and it reflects God's character. The reason that you pursue one another, even though you know each other's junk and the sin, is because God pursued you when you were far from him, and you did not deserve him. He knew your junk, and yet he still loved you. Right? That, 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 our, that our love and marriage would transform us, because Jesus' love transforms us. We, we do change. And so it's viewing marriage through the lens of that Jesus loves his bride, the church, and how he has transformed us. Not simply saying, hey, if you love Jesus, marriage will be easier. But that we view marriage through the lens of the gospel. It's, it, it changes the way we view generosity, right? Instead of saying, hey, we, we give in order to get, we say we give because we've already gotten it all. If God has given us his son, what is he going to hold back from us? If he has been so generous with those of us who did not deserve it, why would I not want to reflect my father? Why would I not want to show that I know him and love him and trust him and treasure him and that he's my greatest treasure and so I can be generous with my time and my energy and my relationships and my money and my talents? Because I've seen it modeled to me and I want to be like my father that we see gospel-centeredness through parenting, right? That God pursues us, and he loves us, and he is patient with us, and he repeats the same thing over and over again, and he's kind, and, and that his discipline is to shape us, to make us more like him, not just to punish us, that he, that he disciplines those that he loves. And so now it's not just about control of like, do what I say, it's about saying, I want you to trust the authority in your life as I trust the authority in my life, right? And so the gospel is, in, is shaping the way we view parenting. It shapes, gospel-centeredness shapes the way we read Scripture, right? That as we get to David um, and Goliath, that we're not talking about the giants in your life, but that we're saying that this was a story that's revealing that Christ killed the greatest giant, death, 
that we don't have to fear it anymore, that he has swallowed death up in victory, that Jesus is the greater David. It's seeing the gospel in all of Scripture, in all of life. One final one that we're going to look at, and it's the second core value. Something that we long for and desire here is that we would be reflective of Pampa. We don't get to pick who lives in Pampa or in the panhandle, right? But we want to be a place where anyone who lives in this community is welcomed and a part of. And there are places in Pampa, like Walmart, that you walk in and you see Pampa and all of its glory and all of its shame, right? You see every economics, you see every ethnicity, you see every education, like all of it is there. We want to be a place that looks like that too because the gospel's enough. It is enough to unite us and to unify us because it reflects the character of God. If we look at Ephesians 2, in this, Paul is writing to those who were, to the church in Ephesus, and he says this, remember that at one time you Gentiles, meaning non-Jews, that you were far off, verse 12. Remember that you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope, and you were without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who were once far off, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, and he has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Verse 16, it might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to one spirit in the Father. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God. So he's writing saying the Jews were close and they were missing it. And the Gentiles were far off and they were missing it. And his one death is the hope of salvation for both of them. And he brings them into one family. And he says, and I've torn down every dividing wall of hostility in ethnicity and in religion. And in, like, it's all torn down. And he says, in Christ, that's all we need to be with him. It's all we need to have in common as a church. I don't need to, to, to think like you in every situation right? I don't need to have the same employment or the same money or the same education or the same skin color to be in part of the family of God. He adopts us in and says, in Christ, we have one hope and one salvation. And so church, we want to reflect what we're going to see in heaven. Because in Revelation 7, there will be folks from every tribe and every nation and every language and every country and every ethnicity standing and singing to our King who offered them the same salvation. And so, look, there are places where the nations have come. Pampa is not one where all the nations have come. But as best as we can, we want to reflect what Pampa looks like. That when you walk in this room, you go, yeah, that's Pampa. That's the panhandle. And that we would say together, Jesus is enough for that. Because the gospel calls us to that. So church, this morning, if, if something kind of wants to rise up in your throat or your heart and you're like, okay, everybody but, that's a place of repentance. Because racism is sin, right? The sorts of judgment is sin. If we're like everyone but them, that is not the heart of God who pursued all and rescued folks from every situation to be his sons and daughters the same as us.
Not just those who are far off, hating God, but also those who are near and missing it, who are religious and missing it, who are living moral lives and were not treasuring Jesus. He rescued both, those who lived with blatant sin and those who lived with, lived with hidden sin and tried to cover it up with the hypocrisy of religion. Church, this morning is this. It is not what we've done, but it's what Jesus has accomplished for us. And so we want everything that happens at Redeemer, from the songs that we sing to what happens as we gather in homes for gospel communities to the sermons that are preached to our interactions and our our pursuit of reconciliation and all of these things to be because this is what the Lord has done on our behalf. And so it allows us to walk in a manner worthy of Him, reflecting His character to one another and to a world who's in desperate need to know that kind of hope exists. The cross broke and paid the penalty of sin. But it also broke the power of sin. And although we still live in a world marred by it, sin does not enslave us any longer. And it is the gospel who will free us from that. So we are connected to our king. Look, we could just keep preaching for the rest of the week about this and not run out of passages and thoughts. We just want to hold Jesus up. Say he is enough He is for those who are far off and those who are close and think they've had it. Trusting that the Spirit is revealing himself, that he's calling. Um, The band's going to come back up, and we're just going to sing to our King who is alive and hearing your praise this morning. If you need someone to talk with, to pray with, there'll be some men and women in the back of the room. Um, I'm going to pray for us. And, And before the band comes, to just give a couple of moments to allow the Spirit to speak. Whatever the Spirit may be revealing to you this morning.